Hi, I'm Mike Allen, Head of Research at Zeus, and today I'm talking about what we see as the key themes for OEMs with automotive expert Owen Edwards at Grant Thornton. I've known Owen for over 20 years and I remember him pushing motor retailers to me when I was on the buy side at UBS and he was addressing that. I certainly learned a lot from him and his colleague Ed, Ed Wright in those days. Owen, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Perhaps before we get into the nitty gritty of where we see the market in 2023, it might be useful for you to give us a quick two minute overview on your background and the varied work you've done in the sector. Yeah, sure. So it's been it's been quite a varied career, as they say, in the industry. So I firstly started off like you did, Mike, on the buy side. Um, I started off with a company called Albert E Sharp and spent many years uh, working there with a, with a couple of guys uh, being a fund manager. So I started on the buy side. Then I moved over to work for Dresdner Bank, as you quite rightly said, and covered a lot of small companies there and mainly motor retailing companies, likes of they're gone now, Reg Fardy and 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 yeah. European Motor Holdings, which probably you'll well remember. Yeah. And uh, spent yeah. a lot of time dealing with them. And then in 2006, uh, you could see that the market was going to go south. So that was the 2007 crash I'm talking about going south. So I decided to jump ship and, and move to a company called Inchcape uh, PLC, which uh, which I then became director of business development, working with uh, with the likes of Andre Lacroix and uh, Peter Johnson, Alan Ferguson at the time. And then later on, I I, I left there. They were they were no longer making further investments as as uh, Andre Lacroix started to sort of leave leave that business and move on to his next career, uh, and I moved on to Marshalls to work with Dash Gupta, uh, and spent many uh, many an evening with Dash working on his IPO. That's uh, that's the quoting of Marshalls on the London Stock Exchange with the team yeah. also at Invest Tech. And then uh, then about eight years ago, I moved over to Grant Thornton to look at what we call the upstream, the downstream, and the automotive. So the downstream is anything from the factory gate out to the end consumer and the upstream is anything from the factory gate to currently the lithium mine so you know working with the raw materials as well so broader range of of, of of automotive experience there yeah no absolutely and it's been fascinating knowing you all those times as you've been Cheers. going through that journey so it's been great perhaps we could start with the oems though and how we should view the challenges they have in the market at present i mean it's clear they have very different strategies of working with the dealers and I'm sure we'll see the agency model evolve but how do you see the the general outlook for the OEMs over the coming years? Yeah so so towards the end of this sort of like section I'll talk about a little bit about the agency model and that sort of stuff which I guess is what most people are interested in if you're looking at it from a dealer's perspective but let's let's sort of rewind to to what the real challenges are for the OEM. So you know, I think there still remains some supply chain issues. Um, semiconductors are still in short supply. Um, that is probably going to continue probably to the end of 2023 going into 2024. And we don't really see a massive rush back initially of, of vehicles coming back. They will come back in drips and drabs and they will come back model by model, brand by brand, depending on which way you look at it. So supply chain is a big key. Raw material cost is, 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 is an ever increasing one. It's increasing in two areas. One is the polypropylenes out there and, and, and the oil based products, which are going up and continuing to rise. Although we've seen a little bit of that coming back. Um, what we have seen is is um, the lithium prices and those critical minerals, what we call the critical minerals, whether they be for fuel cells or whether they be for battery electric vehicles. Both of those seem to be on the rise and, and on the increase as time goes on. So it's going to be interesting to see how the OEMs deal with that. And 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 we can talk a bit about that later if you want. And then we've got uh, increased emissions. So all the time, you know, the issue that you've got is you've got very stiff targets, both for the UK 2013 and 2035, which you'll know as, you know, no more 
um, petrol engine emissions or zero tailpipe emissions by 2035. So they've got to contend with that, investing into the battery electric, investing into fuel cells, alternative fuels as well, uh, and driving those costs, those investment costs up. Um, interestingly, other factors would be price increases or price decreases, depending on which you want, depend on whether you want to look at it. So um, over the last couple of months, we've seen Tesla, for example. You know that's been quite a disruption in the market where they've reduced the Model S and the Mo sorry the Model Three and the Model Y. So yeah. you know we're seeing that there is increasing pricing competition within that underlying BV market, uh, and that's got to be something that that you know the OEMs have got to pick up on and make a decision: do they go for it as well? Do they follow the herd, or do they step back? And that's going to be a big big strategic employ. Um, then it sort of moves from smaller to larger vehicles. So increasingly, there's going to be increased competition coming from, from the Chinese brands in that aspect. So we believe the Chinese brands will start to, to move into the smaller end of the market as the likes of Ford no longer manufacture the Fiesta, the Focus. Mercedes are no longer going to um, manufacture the, uh, the the A series for it, uh, the A class, for example. So they're all moving up. So what I call the incumbents, the old fashioned, the traditional OEMs that have been around for many, 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 many years, they're all moving up to a higher level. So if you look at uh, Touareg, for example, you know you can get you can get five much five times much more profit on an EBITDA basis uh, at Touareg than you can from an, uh, an up. You know, so the SUV is going to give you more value, and then of course. You've got battery electric vehicles, which again I've touched on a little bit, and that is all going to be further millions and billions of pounds worth investments. And then that goes on to connected autonomous vehicles. And then of course eventually you'll get to the, the agency model, which I'm sure is what you know a lot of the dealers are looking at and wondering what's going on there at the moment. The agency yeah. model is one of these things, as you know, Mike, is uh the manufacturers now looking to um uh reduce the level of cost in the dealer network. So Jim Farley quoted uh couple of quarters back that his belief was that he could take out two thousand dollars from every american dealer if he went down a different sales route and and i'm assuming that that potential sales route is 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 the agency model so there is there is a lot of change for the oem but inherently it's all driving into one thing and the overall arching issue is it's all about cost and maintaining and enhancing that earnings which as you know coming from the city coming from the fund management background um, EPS or earnings per share or earnings, depending on how you want to look at it, is all critical to that movement in the share price going up. And I know you've done, as you've alluded to, a lot of work on the supply chain. And I, I saw a piece you did recently on EV battery recycling as well. Do you think that's a big opportunity the OEMs have in the medium term or will, will there be other bigger opportunities for them? Yeah, so I think that the most interesting thing about the OEMs, you're actually right, by the way. Yeah, I did I did put a bit around the recycling. And I think that was one thing to get to get people to, to look at an area in the market that is not fully understood yeah. and not fully looked at, at the moment. Um, but what I would say is I think I think the OEMs have got bigger things, bigger fish yeah. to fry, if you want to call it yeah. that. And the most interesting thing that I've started to see with the OEMs is is they're getting they're, they're getting their tender hooks into every single thing in the in the supply chain, but also every sort of thing into the distribution chain and the retail chain as well. So what do I mean by that? So what I mean is that you're seeing with the likes of Tesla who are coming along and GM and Ford and people like that, they're now investing in the mines. They're now securing that raw material supply chain. Yeah. yeah. And from that raw material supply chain, they're then securing the price for themselves and the supply within that. So they don't want to get caught out like they did before with semiconductors in the likes of lithium, nickel and cadmium or cobalt. So they're doing the same thing. They're, they're sort of tapping into that 
and pulling that through to, to eventually their supply chain. And then if you look at VW in Europe, they're getting into refining, they're getting into the manufacturing, doing joint ventures with the likes of Northvolt, for example. So now you've got to this stage where they've captured the battery market. And at the same time, they're then moving into OEM manufacturing the, the car, which is what they do the best now. But prior to that, they would not really doubt heavily in the raw materials. So they're now dealing with the whole strain. So once you've got to this position of the factory gate, then it's interesting to see what they're doing after the factory gate. So with the agency model, they're looking at direct and some of them are looking at direct with battery electric vehicles. So battery electric vehicles are pushing and changing the market quite dramatically. Um, and I thought is for, for, for the automotive industry, you know, the next five years, there'll be more change than the last 50. And it'll really be around what the OEM decides they want to do. So if I look back at that, supply chain so far they're, they're encapsulating most of the supply chain and controlling as much supply chain as they can but doing it directly rather than indirectly putting pressure on one to tier four parts providers what they're now starting to do is go down the downstream as well and that's factory yeah. gate to the end consumer so what we're seeing is we're seeing them getting into fight where well, they're already in finance as you know they're already in selling the new cars they're starting to sell more used vehicles now so if you look at uh, artemis which is part of um part of Stellantis, yeah that that bought that bought a proportion or a, a minority stake of um motor depot okay and yeah. they're getting very involved into that they're getting both very involved into reconditioning vehicles have a look at as well um uh, i'm looking for instavolt for example so they're getting yeah. into charging yeah? yeah and they're actually now they're doing the 350 kilowatt charging facilities in the uk and europe so they're getting into the charging then is it a scenario they then get into um for example um other areas of of supplying the energy that's yeah. a possibility we know that ford in america is is looking into that and then right the way through once the vehicle comes off the end of the end of uh its its cycle it then gets recycled yeah, yeah. and so coming to your point is recycling key at the moment recycling is not that key at the moment so at the moment, where's most of the recycling coming from? Most of the recycling is coming from the small batteries. So we're sitting in front of a set of laptops, for example, those type yeah. of batteries, or it's coming from the scrap, which could be anywhere between 60 and 80% coming out of the battery battery manufacturers. At the moment, the scrap coming out of cars is not that great at all, but yes. inevitably it will come in time. So they will create this circular economy and with that circular economy aim to get uh, a zero zero emissions base and Nissan's looking to do that by 2050 and Volvo's looking to do it by 2045 I think off the top of my head yeah no, such a question yeah no it does it does and I guess I guess perhaps we can just talk about the risky business of forecasting residual values particularly for EVs in the coming months I mean we've obviously seen a couple of price cuts from Tesla yeah. as you've alluded to but do you think you know what what are the other key factors do you think investors or dealers should be looking for? Do you think that EV drop is kind of troughed out, or do you think there's a little bit more pain to come? I think I think the situation is there's there's potentially more pain to come. Now, what I, I'm not a forecaster of prices, so I can't I can't give you where that will be, right? No. But the issue for but the issue if you're looking residual values and you're looking around battery electric vehicles, which which is probably the more difficult to, to forecast versus the internal combustion engines that we've been doing for the last 20, 30, 40 years is the following. If you, if you look at that, there's just a lack of data. You know, there's a lack of BEVs in the secondhand market at the moment, you know, yeah. and with that lack of data, it's difficult to bring out any statistical modeling in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an incredibly meaningful way. You can do it, but it's not it's not as accurate as it would be with the internal combustion engines. 
It yeah. doesn't help having Tesla suddenly going, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take 15% off a of Model 3 and a 16% off a of Model I in the UK, Europe, yeah. China, wherever. And that yeah. in turn is causing more havoc in the market because, as you know, you know, if you suddenly slash prices like that, they did it in January, the person who bought their car in December is not going to be very happy. And if you've if you put a PCP on that, then the scenario, the, the the balloon payment at the end is going to be a question mark whether you are in 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 the in in the equity or out of the equity in that particular case as time goes on. So it's def, it's really difficult in that aspect. You've got yeah. I think more Chinese brands coming into the market. I think most of those Chinese cars will come into Europe to start with. Um, and then I think eventually 2024, 2025, you'll start to see an ever increasing number of Chinese manufacturers coming into Europe. So we've just done a piece of work in Bahrain where we spoke and dealt with some Chinese manufacturers and they've taken 10% market share. And that's mainly been away from Toyota and Nissan. Yeah. Fair juice in the Middle East. You know, they're, yeah. they're the people to attack anyway. And they're going to come in and they're going to come in price aggressive. And I think the price aggressive is going to be really on the BEVs. And, yeah. and they're going to attack it. And they're going to attack that very strongly. So I'm not sure whether you're aware, but they they did that with uh, Stellantis for Jeep brand in China. Right. Okay. Um, and what they did was they actually crushed the brand completely. So what do we mean by that? So in May 2022, they sold uh, they sold 22 Jeeps for the whole month. Uh, that's both that's both the Grand Cherokee and the Wrangler. Um, then after that, and the first of first of June, they only sold one vehicle. And then by October, Jeep had exited the Chinese market and the business had gone insolvent. So, you know, they are aggressive when they come. So we do expect, you know, the Chinese brands to to come to the market strongly. They've done it already with with NG, by the way. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, the other thing that we need to be really careful of, and it's not really mentioned much, is is really the changes in technology. Yeah. So if you look at an internal combustion engine, the changes in improvements in internal combustion engine take place over a long period of time. It's been a gradual process. It's not been major step changes. Yes, we've had things like um, injectors. Yes, we've gone to diesel. Yes, we've gone to turbocharging, supercharging, stuff like that. But batteries have bigger jumps and they have big jumps because they have sudden improvements. So, for example, if we look at, at the moment, you know, you've got uh, NMC 611 or 811, you know, that at the moment has been a step change. It gives you a higher level of density, gives you a higher level of, of, of nickel, cadmium in there, et cetera. But the biggest issue that you've got is when things go from, say, for example, to solid state batteries, to aluminium batteries, that will be a big jump. So when it goes from 300 miles, to, 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 you know, on one charge to 500 miles to 1000 miles on one charge. It, it, you know, what does that do for those vehicles that have been already, you know, sold into the market that, for example, um, have a quite a substantial level of degradation on the battery? And that's another point. We just don't know what the level of degradation is in the battery. What we need to have in the UK, what we need to have in Europe and America as well, China as well, probably, is we need to have an authority who says, like the BVRLA says, you know, one to six in the way of damage on the body. We just don't know what the level of damage is on those batteries. So you are taking a bit of a leap of faith when you start to buy some of these used car vehicles as well, because you just don't know what the degradation is going to be on that battery. You know, it says 100 percent on the clock. Yeah. But is it really 100 percent? So yeah, 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 yeah. residual values is really difficult to determine. And I think it will remain that so but for, for, for some time.
I mean, as, as you say, there's a, there's a lot of change in the industry. There's a lot of unpredictability as the power chain trains change as well, as you allude to. But what would what advice would you give to dealers to prosper in this changing environment over the next few years? So I suppose I suppose the thing about dealers is is you know they they've got they've like like everybody else they've got a lot of change coming. Okay, and, and that applies. You know, some some will go down the agency model. Some will have a successful agency model. Some will adapt the agency model or, or, or whatever, or have a hybrid between the two, between the franchise and the agency model. But I think inevitably the dealer will have to adapt. So adaptation, the ability to um, ability to move. And interestingly enough, if you look at COVID, which was totally and utterly unexpected, you know how quickly did the dealers jump onto That's the process true. of you know signing on board, getting people to buy cars on the internet you know, where there was no physically possibility of selling those cars. So, you know, the dealers are people who adapt very quickly. Things that they've got to look out for is really, again, supply. So supply is going to be a potential issue in 2023. Used cars is probably going to be a supply issue for maybe another two, two, two or three years. So they've got to deal with that supply. And they have been and they've successfully dealing with it. And they've been dealing with it great margins. The other yeah. factor is going to be cost. You're going to see a lot of costs. Um, it's going to be things such as energy costs rising. So we're seeing some 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 energy costs going up by 50 percent, some even higher. Um, other costs within the dealership, um, you know, oil is going to go up, tyres is going to go up. All these sort of factors, some of it can be passed on, some of it can't. And then then I guess one of the other big ones that not many people have mentioned, and this is something from the IMI, you know, they've indicated that there is a lack of apprenticeships out there. There is a real serious shortage of, of technicians. There always has been. It's always been that way, but we're seeing more and more technicians who are deciding either to retire or have decided to go to the aerospace or the rail industry, et cetera, et cetera. And we're also seeing it for salespeople. So, you know, the dealer has to now find and adapt a way of 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 people that are moving on a much more, um, you know, they're much moving, much moving, much, much quicker. So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we always say you've got you know uh, grip and vision in a business grip is keeping hold of the volumes keeping hold of the costs looking at the gross margins making ensuring those cost margins are as as lean and as efficient as great as can be possible the other is looking at the overheads you've got to have grip on your overheads you, you know it's so easy to let overheads run away i'm absolutely sure that you know not every business out there has said after covid you know what i'm going to maintain the grip on this that i've always you know maintained over the covid period and costs have gone up and it, it's really interesting for an individual to look at what their cost of sales ratio is and then after that it's really it's it's all about the cash you know cash yeah. is king we've always said this we said this on the when we were fund managers together we said this when we were on the sales side together cash yeah. is absolutely king so focus on that cash keep that cash really uh, you know really 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 solid and, and fully yeah. understand exactly where it's coming from I mean, yeah. it's an interesting point. I think I think the point I've always made, and, and and you're right. You know, during COVID, the businesses had to change almost instantaneously yeah. on, on a factor that they they didn't know about, and it it hit everybody. And, and and then coming out of that, we saw profit levels we've never seen before, and yep. and, and and there is a decline in profitability. But um, the the best dealers I speak to talk to you a year in advance about you know i'm seeing these cost pressures but i'm dealing with it now apprentices i've got a plan for that for technicians um you know that they they've got good on the channel kind of models now as well so uh, you, you know one thing i've always felt is the sector hasn't 
hasn't really got the they've never had they are cyclical businesses but they don't yeah. get the full credit they deserve for the nimbleness oh. and entrepreneurialism at the top of those businesses yeah they are they you know and this and this is i suppose this is the this is the big issue that historically you know when when manufacturers and banks and and, and other entities have tried to enter into the market they've never they've never sort of succeeded if that makes sense although you could say tesla has succeeded in 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 having its own dealers but yeah. but fundamentally it's that entrepreneurial spirit that the guys have got that are out there yeah. that you know they understand exactly what their business is doing how their business is doing how they control it and again you know they think fundamentally about moving the volumes it's the volumes that they've got to move both for new and used vehicles because they know that's where you know new is volume volume based margin used is better margin and then you know controlling that service and 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 you know that absorption rate to to assume that you get you know the maximum out of your business and you know most of the dealers i speak to are very good at doing that and you know yeah. they do adapt very quickly so you know it's it, the automotive industry as a whole mike is is one of these things that it's gone through a lot of pain and a lot of change in the yeah. last uh in the well, in the last five years you know we said at COVID, the next five years would be more, 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 you know, be more change than the last fifty, and we're still now saying the next five years is going to be even more change again. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's ongoing that change, and I don't think we will ever truly probably get back to a year of norm. No, but no, but we adapt to that. We adapt to that uh, exactly. abnormality, exactly. if you want to call it. Exactly, yeah. and I th I think we're talking about the same themes we we're talking about twenty years ago in terms of yeah. optimizing volumes, managing costs, managing cash managing change it's it, it you know it's just the the, the factors that what's the near-term factors that we talk about change but the fundamentals of of motor retail probably haven't changed really in terms of the nimbleness so no, uh, no. That, that's you, good you're absolutely right mike i mean at the end of the day right um you know we've still got to create rapport trust obligation you know to the client we've still got to do the basics well uh as andre lequay say brilliant basics magic moments you know we've still got to do that to the clients you know whether it's my client your client or, or motor retailing client and 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 the motor retailers you know doing that will enable them to secure that client retain retention because it's so much easier to retain a customer you use service whatever than it is than it is to to go out and keep prospecting yeah, absolutely. And finally, it'd be great to hear your current thoughts on the M&A landscape in the dealer world and whether yeah. you think activity levels will increase or decrease versus last year and the reasons for that. Yeah, so so that's a, that's a really difficult question because whether they'll increase or decrease, do we, I suppose the best way of me answering it, and I'm trying to sort of duck the question, Mike, in a little way, <laughs> is, 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 is there going to be a snowball of, of, of acquisitions? No, I don't think there will. Um, we do believe that M&A will continue. You know, there, there's yeah. several reasons why M&A will continue. You know, you still got the PLCs. The PLCs are still out there hunting in the market. They might diversify a bit like Lookers did the other day with their, with yeah. their leasing company. But fundamentally, yeah. they're out there to looking for earnings enhancement, which is, you know, you know, and I know come from the sell side and the buy side in the city. That's what we were always looking for. That's what yeah. the shareholders were always looking for. So, you know, it's that earnings enhancement. You've got international players. There's, there's more and more international players coming to the UK um there are there are i think many many more companies to come i think the uk is still looked upon as as an area of you know advancement for used cars um advancement in how we sell the product um you know how we how we how we also service the product as well so i think there's a lot that the international players can learn from us and there's a lot i think of uh, international businesses that are waiting let's say at the door 
to to potentially snap up cheap assets where they can um, attain those. So I think there's, there's there's the opportunity there for the international. And then you've got the sort of larger private players that are in the market. You know, they want to gain contiguous market area territory, which is exactly what we used to do in the in, in the sort of in the early late. Uh, you know, late, late 2007, where with Inchcape, you know, we were looking to build up that continuous market area ter- uh, territory in order to gain some of those economies of scale, not massive, but it gained yeah. you that ability to to gain some form of economies of scale, especially in those areas such as used cars and uh, being the key, being a key one. And then, yeah. of course, there's those that have been in the industry, they're small players, they're individual players. Um, they're looking at this and they're saying, well, you know, actually things are getting tougher companies getting bigger around me you know i want to realize some 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 capital gain or some shareholder value and therefore you you are getting some of the smaller players who are saying well you know now is the time to to relinquish we've had some very very good years of 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 ebitda and ebitda growth and therefore that now enables me to uh to to, to um you know to be in a position where i can now sell my business for a, for, for a pretty good price you know, um, whatever that whatever that price may be in the way of a net asset value plus a, a, an EBIT dollar or PVT goodwill, and and I think we're starting to see that, and that's starting to come through. So, you know, there is there is there is a, there is opportunity for all out there to uh, to continue to do that, and I think also as well, the probably the final bit on this is really around the OEMs. They are also changing their strategy. They are making a decision on where they want to be and who they want to be with and who they don't want to be with. And, you know, I don't know those strategies, but that's the understanding that we're getting from from a number of them that they're, you know, they're making a decision and and that and that may go hand in hand with the agency model, may not go hand in a, with the agency model or or any other model they choose to, you know, choose to, to choose to be strategically aligned to. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Well, Owen, really appreciate your time today. No Look forward to catching up at the next industry event and who knows what the next 20 years looks like. Thank you. Yeah, we'll change. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, a designated investment business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.